October 23, 2020, it's a lot for Pedro's show. <laughs> Thank you. 
Friday, uh, start off with Trains Blues, John Coltrane with Miles Davis. 
after that, we had the ghost of Vince Lombardi, brand new from Jello Biafra and the Guantanamo School of Medicine. And uh, through the, you know, Brother Matt's still at the Love Grotto on the Pleasure Point a couple miles south of here because we're still in quite in quarantino mode. But through those uh, incredible software engineers in Estonia with their uh, incredible, look at that, I'm talking like your uh, guy there with a lack of uh, superlatives. But their their Skype invention I got with me from the city, Jella Biafra. Welcome to the show, Jella. Thanks, Mike. I've wanted you on the show for a buttload of years. Yeah, I know. And we've tried. And then I get down your way and you're not there. You're off playing somewhere when I'm playing in Long Beach or L.A. and never. Or I just couldn't get a ride up to Pedro. That happened once, too. Right. You know, I'm still waiting for the uh, the Watt guided tour of Pedro. I've never been to Pedro in my life. Well, I'm going to give it to you when you can get down here. Yeah. I wish I could bring it up to your town. I was going to get to conk at your pad, but then you got black mold in your bulkheads. Yeah, the black mold is gone. Good. It's not healthy to breathe, Jello. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it won't screw up the health of Bob mold either now. <laughs> Ah, good point. He he lives down the hill and partway up another hill from me. Oh, he's close. Okay. Yeah, I saw him last yeah. summer. You know, I was helping Flipper out with the tour in Europe, and he was at the Berlin gig. And it was great oh, there you go. Him. Yeah. It's yeah, I don't know if you know the story where I, I met him up in, uh, this would have been 81, I think, um, up in Seattle, and Randy Rampage, in particular from DOA, who I just bumped into in Washington, D.C., all crashing at the house of a guy who would later call himself Henry Rollins. Anyway, um, I said, you got to see this band, Who's Could Do? Got to see this band, Who's Could Do? And, um, and then I didn't get there. The show, it was a show box, and there was uh, us, uh, them, I think Farts were right before us. Yeah. And had them before. But uh, anyway... Um, you there? Yeah, what was the name of the record? Fuck Art, oh. Let's Fart. <laughs> with the anarchy, <laughs> right? They didn't make that... a record with that name, but that was their slogan. Oh, okay, I think, okay. Among many. But anyway, we got acquainted. I uh, Maybe I, I gave him an address. I don't know. But then a few days later, knock, knock, knock at my place at nine in the morning, and my now long gone ex wife answers the phone. And here's a guy with a big Cheshire cat smile named Grant at the door. Yeah. Hi, we're Hooskadoo. We've come to stay. And they walked on in and didn't leave for a month. Whoa. So we, we, they ran out of gigs. They ran out of money. I had to pretend they, I was their landlord so they could get food stamps or trying to help them out. Plus, you know, we kind of hit it off well and bonded really quickly. So they were a pleasure to have there. And we got to know each other as well as you might get to know somebody who suddenly stayed at your place for a month, who turned out to be a great conversation and all. And I I think it was Grant that the uh, cat I had then named Pippin, um, who had a habit of trying to sleep on the heads of the stars, she only slept on my head once, but she she got, I think it was Grant she got. Another time, Huskerdu came and stayed there, because I was kind of their hotel for years until they went to Warner Brothers. But uh, one time, Dee Boone was being their so-called, right. they called the roadies at the time. And he comes to me the next day, dude, I woke up and your cat was sleeping across my head. <laughs> and I thought, ah, oh, Pippin got Me and Georgie one. had to do a gig. 
Just us two, because D Boone got stuck. The, the great got, vine got snowed out from that oh gig God. you're talking about, Jella. And you're talking 1981 when they first came to stay. That's when me and D Boone put out Land Speed Record, their first Yeah, album. Yeah, I guess they were recording themselves every night or something, because I have the tape from the San Francisco show, and the tempo is already what we know it was. <laughs> and then, uh, but, but the one you put out is, of course, slightly different sounding and it's faster. And it's got some different songs on it from what they played the night I got the tape of them, which I think Bob has it too. We used to do little tape dubbing trades and things. Well, well let's go back. It, let's go back with your history. What's your earliest musical recollection? Is it back in Boulder? Well, it would have to be as a very, very small child. Yeah, we moved when I was four to the house my mom is still in to this day. Um, so I have all these vivid memories of the original house and stuff. And um, they they had a record player. They may have even brought it in after I was born. I don't know. And slowly but surely you'd get, uh, I mean, they were classical people. So uh, heard a lot of classical music. And, you know, they liked kind of medieval hymns. There were lute player records with somebody singing. And they also had uh, lived in Berkeley a few years before I was born when my dad was getting his master's in, uh, I think it was social work or psychology at UC Berkeley. And my mom already had her library master's. And the only job she could get was of all places at Cutter Laboratories. You know, that steaming, hissing brick factory you see <laughs> on I-80 when you're yeah. going up between the, you know, the Powell Street and the Ashby Street exit and stuff. Yeah. The ones that made all the all the snake venom kits and stuff. Yeah, and she went in there and, of course, the library was a shambles. Nothing was where it was supposed to be, but she fixed it all. And then my dad got a really cushy job to practice psychology at some fancy place in San Francisco, but then he decided he'd rather do something more street-level, social worky. plus he grew up in Colorado Springs, and he was a rock-climbing pioneer, so he was like, okay, there's a job here, too. I can live in Boulder, commute to Denver, and climb all these mountains all the time and stuff. I'm going there. I don't care about the money. Then I happened. So uh, anyway, so we're in the original house, and uh, there would be that classical stuff, um, I remember I have vague memories when they finally got a TV that there was a show called Hoot Nanny or something with the folk booby stuff in the early 60s. And I have a vague memory of seeing some of that. And but mo mostly audio. And they had they, they liked Pete Seeger, heard some Pete Seeger. They'd go across the bridge when they were living in Berkeley and see a, a folk group called the Gateway Singers and whose albums I've seen exactly once in my vinyl travels, besides my, my parents' copies. And Joan, a Joan Baez album eventually showed up. And my father, trying to be, you know, anthropologically correct and all that, he would occasionally buy ethnic records, too. And he brought in a Japanese kabuki record, the Izuma Kabuki Musicians, Columbia Masterworks. And that record was really cool. And I kind of liked it and then kind of poo-pooed it when he told me and later, yeah, it's kind of like rock music, sort of, trying to rebuild a bridge with this wayward son who uh, blundered, they, dad blundered into a rock and roll station when I was seven years old. And he was turning on the radio trying to get me to go to sleep. And once I heard that, 
there was no stopping me. It was 1965. Garage bands were still on the radio, even local ones. Beatlemania was already in for years. It was going on everywhere. And I quickly gravitated toward the harder stuff, the wilder stuff, the early Stones, Paul Revere and the Raiders, and local bands like the Moonrakers, and the Astronauts were from Colorado, too. And only later in my podhead prog rock space rock days, right before punk happened and away went all my hair into a plastic bag I still have and, you know, punk rock took over. You know, there was a lot of like, come over to Eric's house, smoke weed in his bedroom and, you know, because his parents don't seem to care. At least they were afraid to confront me because our relationship was so volatile by then. But anyway, and I threw on the Azuma Kabuki Musicians. And we were all just floored by the whole thing. And I was like, wow, this sounds kind of like Hawkwind. It's got real drive to it. Man, if only George Harrison had discovered this before India. And uh, then so wound up being the only record trade I ever made with my own father was trading him an Eric Satie album for the Azuma album, thus moving it from the living room to my bedroom and eventually out to San Francisco. So, uh, yeah, that that was some of the first music. Where? Plus, uh, my parents had sing-along songs, and my mother sang in a choir connected with the University of Colorado. So there was all kinds of things well, that's where I want. That's why Go I ahead. wanted to ask you, were they just listeners or were they players too? Your mom was a singer and that's an instrument. Well, a little bit. Yeah. And she played piano. Was there, was, piano, kind of, was there one in the pad? Yeah, but that doesn't mean I had any relationship with it whatsoever. <laughs> you never jumped on it. No, because it was kind of made clear by the time I got Walter Mitty ideas of playing music you know, I kind of gravitated to front men from the get-go. But um, it was clear that if you're going to do the piano, you're going to learn classical music and, you know, piano hymns or whatever, and that's what it's for. Plus, there wasn't that many piano pianos in rock bands. Oh, come and on. So rock and roll started on the piano. Little Richard. I Jerry didn't Lewis. know that oh, yet. Okay. I didn't know that yet. We're talking 65 onward. Yeah, yeah. Louis, Louis. And it wasn't until the early 70s that um, I saw Little Richard on the Glen Campbell Good Time Hour. <laughs> he had a whole night devoted to, you know, they're doing this thing to revive the 1950s and stuff, which uh, a few years later went south and we got stuck with happy days. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, the anyway, um, but, you know, the one who really stood out to me was Little Richard. Yeah. And then there was a little documentary on the AM radio station I've been listening to all that time. They talked about him and some others and even tried to claim he invented soul music just because the song Ooh, My Soul. But uh, so it, it kind of sank in that there was some cool things there. And in my by then teenage heavy rock mode, it was kind of like you'd hear a song you know, from even even like a music machine song, some of the mid sixties. I was thinking, my God, this would sound even better if Black Sabbath played it now, <laughs> and saw things evolving that way. I was all also by then had discovered used record stores and blundered into the MC Five and the Stooges, and life was never the same. Well, them and Hawkwind were the big ones. But Jello, uh, Jello, what was the first record you bought yourself with your own money? 
the first two I got for Christmas when they finally caved in and let me have a record player in my bedroom. They didn't want me buying records and playing them in the living room. The excuse being, oh, well, that's only a mono player and they're all stereo now. Just any excuse to keep their rock, rock hound son from blasting things in the living room like Led Zeppelin or Steppenwolf or something. But um, the first two I ever got for Christmas was a Credence album and a Steppenwolf album, uh, Mardi Gras and Steppenwolf the second. Mardi Gras, I don't even, cons- that's the seventh one, I don't even consider it a Credence record. Tommy well, Quinn, yeah, exactly. that was the only, no, excuse me, it was one right before that. Pendulum, Pen- Pendulum. Yeah, it was Pendulum, but those were the only two records I had. But, but Joe, so what I asked playing. you was, what I asked you was that you bought with your own money because you I'm know, getting to that. Oh, okay. I'm getting to that. Okay, I'm sorry. So then, those were the only two records I had. So I played them over and over and over and over and over again, realizing they couldn't be these bands' finest hours. But damn, <laughs> it's the only records I have. And I saved and I saved and I saved, and finally, I went to a record store and bought Led Zeppelin two, Led Zeppelin three, and the Woodstock soundtrack. Whoa. And those were the first three I got with my own money. What was the first gig you saw? Uh, that came quite a bit later. Um, there was a great club in Boulder, very legendary, called Tulagi's, but I wasn't going to be allowed to go out to that when I was 11, 13 years old. Plus, they had an age limit anyway, so it never even occurred to me. And on top of that, most of the club action then was all country rock stuff and, you know, Scientology jazz fusion or something, which that, that it, it, the good thing about that is I could go into Trade a Tape and Greg's right. the store and find Funhouse sealed for a dime. But because, uh, you know, it wasn't an Eagles record. But um, first live show I saw was Alice Cooper. Ah, good one. Billion Dollar Babies Tour. Ah, I saw that tour. Yeah, yeah. Do you That's think the one where he got uh, guillotined. Do you think they were... No, no, electrocuted. He was electrocuted, I think. Do you think they were lip-syncing or not? Uh, I know there was another guitar player doing Glenn Buxton's part because he had a problem with drinking. Huh. Because um, Dick Wagner, Steve Hunter, I suppose. Well, they're later but... on. They're they're on the Welcome to My Nightmare. After he gets rid of the guys he went to high school with. <laughs> well, there's claims that it's Wagner and Hunter all the way back to Love It to Death. Well, that, because they're part of Bo- they're pa- part of Bob Ezrin's uh, stable. Right, right. But anyway, the reason I always wondered about the lip syncing, even then, even though it was my first show, I enjoyed the show. And my jaw involuntarily dropped for the first half of Hello, Hooray, when Alice Cooper came on. It's really him. (laughs) But uh, at one point, they had those little flashing go-go cages for the string instrument players. And kind of like the dancers on Hullabaloo and stuff, only these were dudes in the the go-go cages. And at one point... Dennis Dunaway ran outside the go-go cage and back in, not missing a note if he was even really playing one. I thought, hey, wait a minute. The basement. His, his guitar cord isn't caught. <laughs> Does he not even have a guitar cord? <laughs> and I've always wondered about that ever yeah, since. I, you, you might well, be right. Kinda, but when I saw him, it looked like they played. I remember that song. It was a duet with uh, Donovan. Huh. Hello, 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 hooray, Wolf? No. Billion Dollar Babies. 
Oh yeah, yeah that that was that of course was on that on the set. I think right afterwards actually. Yeah, I mean nowadays the one that's held up the best for me of Alice Cooper was the one I picked up a little later Killer. to catch up. Um, Killer was the first one I got. Yeah, that's a good one. It came. That was a life changing record. Ironically, that was the first record I ever got where I realized, oh my god. You can have good lyrics with rock music after all. <laughs> it wasn't Bob Dylan. It wasn't even Country Joe McDonald singing the I feel like I'm fixing to die rag, but it was Dead Babies. Yeah, Dead Babies. And, and Halo of Flies, which was kind which of a I then, spy, which I, kind of I read spy Dead song. Babies as a poem in my speech class, and wow. the teacher liked it. Wow. Wow, that's pretty good. He had a voice almost identical to Lindsey Graham. Well, he was a far (laughs) superior person. I mean, he was about the best teacher I ever had. He was a drama teacher, too. He even came to my mom's 90th birthday party, and we all had a great time. But anyway, the the one that really sticks with me the most, that I'll pull out and play the most even today, even more than Killer, is Love It to Death. The first, uh, yeah. The that first, one, uh, there's just something primal. That's the first Bob Ezrin one. It's rock and roll. And uh, yeah, 18 actually was a Stooges song called Dog Food that is very similar. Because <laughs> oh. you know they lived in Pontiac a little while. Yeah, right. they're an Arizona band, but they lived up in Pontiac where Elvin Jones is from. Look, I want to play uh, A Boring Day is What I Need.
Florida man 
or pre-reactionaries.
they are jello. <laughs> a board day is what I need. Jello be after the Quantonomy School of Medicine. Florida man after that. Brand new Blue Oyster Cult. They got a song called Florida Man. Uh, uh, the Red and the Black after that. This is Minutemen in 1984 doing a Blue Oyster Cult song. Guided by Voices after that. A brand new Mr. Child. Blackwing with Bollywood Apologetics. Pantherpod, Bright in England with Mirage. Uh, who caught All-Stars from uh, Barcelona with Estrella Solitaria. And finally, uh, Las Llamas duo with... Yevan Seros. <laughs> okay. Jella, were you in the choir or the school band or shit like that? Are you kidding? Absolutely well, I not. Ask. I mean, I just once ask. I was a rock guy, I wanted nothing to do with anything else. Okay. Plus, I've been subjected to year after year in elementary school of this teacher from music teacher named Mrs. McNaughton, who some of us called Fat McSnaughton, who was very imperial and she was really into patriotic songs and other stuff and try to put religion in there too. Right, right after the Kent State massacre, we had to do the spring program and it was all fucking patriotic songs. Except for, okay, each class can pick one song of their own, and they finally picked one off the radio in my class, but it was the song I hated more than any other song on the radio at the time, which was Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. DJ Thomas. And then they made me do this little dance around, and only when I'm 40 years old do my parents <laughs> say, well, you didn't have to go. And I was like, you never told me that. I mean, I would have been hauled into the principal's office and you probably wouldn't have defended me. So that didn't even occur to me. But anyway, so I was very independent of all that. I wanted to play electric guitar. I wanted to play drums. My parents didn't want anything to do with any of that. And so never did. I mean, I, I you know, I have a guitar and I can pick out notes on it if I have to, to show music to somebody. Yeah. But Right, right about, about the time, you know, maybe a year into Dead Kennedys, Klaus said, oh, don't worry about that. You can sing good enough. Just sing us the parts. <laughs> and that that opened the door to more sophisticated songs. Like the first one I did that way was Chemical Warfare. I, I think maybe so. Police Truck was the last one I showed him on a guitar, I guess. And, um, and yeah, imagine my, how I felt later when they sued my ass to take everything and claim <laughs> Because I didn't play an instrument, or worse yet, he doesn't read sheet music, Jerry. Therefore, they wrote all the songs. Oh, man, you know, Chico Hamilton, drummer man, tried to get songs. Oh, drummers can't write songs. There's such That's such bullshit. Look, yeah. we're at the end of the first hour. October 23, 2020, Dishwap, Peter, show special guest, Jella. Hold tight for hour two. October 23, 2020, it's the second hour of the Wap from Pedro show.
price is easy to Oh, 
show start off the second hour with the last big gulp i was enlightened to the secret meaning (laughs) just now people and it's a it's kind of apocalyptic so i'm not gonna you know bum anybody out (laughs) joe biafra to guantanamo school medicine then we had sam bennett over tokyo with trigger the libs that's what it's all about right silver apples damn we lost brother simeon you want to try and get on Program. the There's a way to do it. The name is Alive. No, his name is Alive with Return to... Uh, you have a Skype address or not? Okay. I can hear you, Jello. You're talking over me. Fake feet from Model Home. And then finally, we created Putin. Not Putin. Not that stuff in Montreal. <laughs> That's got no one, right? Okay. Yeah, but, spe- and, speaking of W. Bush... When he was still running in 2000, he claimed when people were asking, well, what's your foreign policy going to be towards Canada? He was like, well, I have a really tight relationship with Prime Minister Poutine up there. We're real good friends. <laughs> he actually said that when the prime minister was Cretchen, of course. And, uh, yeah, we created Putin. I mean, that one... Um, it just amazes me that a Bush League rock musician like me had to be the one to point out when all these highfalutin punditoids and whatnot won't that we would not have the problems with Putin and Russia today if we had come in with a Marshall Plan and been good winners instead of bad winners when the Cold War happened and the Soviet Union collapsed. 
I mean, we didn't learn after World War One, and Germany was in such dire straits, and we wouldn't help them. Eventually, they went for Hitler. Yeah. World War Two, we got smarter. Marshall Plan, rebuild Germany, get a dem tradition of democracy that's now more de democratic than ours. <laughs> Same with Japan, no more Hitlers, no more Tojos. So, but then we had like budget cutting, you know, Cold War hawk jackasses like Reagan and the first Bush, um, who was one of the worst presidents we ever had. It's just that his son makes him look better. Anyway, they're like, oh, no, no money for them. Just kick their ass. Leave them in the lurch. Maybe they'll maybe they'll be good, like, uh, Chinesey slave labor for us or something. And that was as far as their thinking went. And so you may recall that another guy who almost took over that country earlier, and I originally wrote this song that long ago called do the Zhirinovsky. Remember Vladimir Zhirinovsky? Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. You know, when I take over, there will be dictatorship. <laughs> and one year earlier, he was running a heavy metal boutique in Moscow. <laughs> as far as I know, he's still in the Duma and still getting in fist fights with people. But even then, I thought, oh my God, no Marshall Plan. This guy is too much of a Yahoo to ever really take the country, isn't he? Oh, my God, what if they get a smart Zhirinovsky? And so the song sat for a while, and uh, and then, lo and behold, we got Putin. And so I finally dusted it off and added the bridge, which is the other important part of the song, is why is Trump so terrified of him and goes so far out of his way to suck his dick without a single Trump gaffe to be found? Well... I don't think it's the P-tape. I don't think it's a simple business deal so he can sell his name to a Trump Tower Moscow to be built with Russian money because he doesn't have enough for that. No, I think it's worse. As you know, um, American banks quit lending money to him around the turn of our current century because they all figured out he was a con man who never paid anybody back and just kept declaring bankruptcy and then opening another casino or whatever. Kind of like some uh, music labels have worked, especially in England. But anyway, um, so then takes, what, $300 million, maybe more from Deutsche Bank, you know, that same wayward German bank that's laundered money for Al-Qaeda and El Chapo and everything else and somehow manages to stay in business. And um, he's never paid them back either. <laughs> so then... Lo and behold, the whole economy collapses, and you know, 2009, he's opening more golf resorts. And in an interview with one of the golfing magazines, Eric Trump was quoted as saying, when they're asking, well, how are you paying for all this when the banks won't lend to anybody? Oh, we don't need American banks. We use Russian banks. Right. I remember reading about and that. And therein the problem lies. Nobody gets to be a big enough bank to lay, lend hundreds of millions or maybe even nine figures to some clown like Trump unless they're mob. And three guesses as to who is widely believed to run the Russian mob. <laughs> the one who is also widely believed now to be the richest man in the world, even sure. more than Jeff Beeswax, it's Putin. <laughs> I want to play this song now. You got Let's Go Stare at Bloody Dead People. Oh, uh, yes. Accident <laughs> Voyeur.
the street. We're marching into something I can't stop and don't understand.
I could be anything that I want. Now I'm older and it's not that easy. No one told me it would be this hard.
side of the freeway, the opposite direction, and they're just getting a ticket. Yeah. This is how interesting people's lives are. They have to f- supplement it with experiences like that. People, that's let's go stare at bloody dead people. It's uh, inspired by uh, Gawkin at uh, fellow idiots on the road. The, the mind runs a race and falls down by sky furrows after that. Boats or balloons from Spokanistan. <laughs> that's the name pits. of the band? No, that's the town they're from. It's no, also... I know. Bullets or Balloons is the name of a band. Yeah. That's hilarious. Sometimes I, they I like call it uh, Spoke, uh, Spokane, right? It's called uh, sometimes a little t- town of Methlehem. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the name of the song. <laughs> yeah, it's called Blueprints. Uh, uh, little town of Methlehem. <laughs> It's even better than little little crack house on the prairie. Oh my God! Well, I gotta find out. Look, people say, "Why are you always playing there?" I say, "Look on a map." Same with Boise. I mean, you know, some yeah. oasis. Some uh, the U.S. Maker, got some. The Makers came out of Spokane. That's right, and uh, they got a school, a uh, Catholic school. Some good basketball players come out. Gonzaga. Oh, I didn't know Gonzaga was a Catholic school. There's another one there, too. Is it Cheney State or Eastern Washington? The one that has a red AstroTurf football field. <laughs> well, I do know they have got... to do Boise State with the blue one, one better, and they have a red <laughs> field. I know in Spokane they got a waterfalls in the middle of the town. It's pretty Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, uh... Uh, Vanyana's in Ancient India by Mooseheart Faith Stellar Groove Band. <laughs> Uh, Samuel Lockward with Bubble Pipe Wizard. And finally, Taliban, USA, Jello Biafra in the Guantanamo School of Medicine. How long did it take you to record this new album? Too long. Really? Yeah, it started way back at the end of 2018. And then it was everything from an equipment problem one day to... uh, my voice crapping out another day, and then I was gone for a long period because my mom had a stroke, which she has mostly bounced back from and hung out, hung on to the house and running her own show and everything. So uh, that's a relief. That's the house I grew up in, too. And uh, and um, back and forth for that and then trying to pick it up again. And Where did you do not, it? Where did you do it? Um, we did it at a place called Lucky. In the city? Which is just south of here. It used to be called Lucky Cat when it was located in San Francisco, right around the corner from the bottom of the hill. Oh, but hill. Uh, yeah. now, now it's just called Lucky, and there's different people coming in and out of there. Um, Mikey Ross from that Teenage Time Killer project with the late and must much missed Reed Mullen, among others, and uh, and Kurt Schlegel, the longtime sound man for Guantanamo School of Medicine, and melvins and sometimes swans and others it's his place too so who better to record us this time because my longtime man matt kelly moved to atlanta but kurt you know he's seen us enough times mixed us enough times he knows what we're trying to do and even back when i was doing live shows with the melvins when we made those albums together people would come up to me and tell me how great my voice sounded god you've kept it intact all these years that's great and i'm thinking that's not me. That's got to be the sound guy. And so I thought, okay, Kurt's really good with live sound. And um, 
you know, and, and he's he's one of these people who can do little small rooms. He can do medium rooms. He can do basketball arenas. He can do outdoor festivals and find a way to actually make it really, you know, wall of sound, rip your head off. I mean, Tony Fate from the Bell Race told me that GSM was the only band that sounded good through the PA the whole day at that punk rock picnic thing they have outside of Irvine. Oh, yeah. So uh, Kurt Schlegel is the one who did it. The Observatory. Uh, in the band now, you got Larry on the bass? Uh-huh. And the guitar? It's, 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 uh, the, both those cats are from, uh, Victim's Family, right? Yeah, Larry Boothroyd on right. bass, Ralph Spite from Victim's Family. And, and Stickman? Uh, I don't know which, oh, Stickman, drummer, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I gotta, gotta always keep up with the wattage here. Um, yeah, no, it's not a Stickman with ray guns, it's a Stickman who plays the drums. <laughs> it's a Stickman with is... a beat in his hand, Jella. And that is J Jason Willer, who okay. I first met when he was just a, a young guy hanging out at Gilman Street. I, hard to call him a kid because he was taller than me even then. <laughs> and uh, he blossomed into a real good drummer, played with the enemies that Dave Ed was in, and then in the UK subs for a good period. And then uh, Nick Turner's later... Uh, version of Hawkwind or his solo tours, the ones where Nicky Garrett from the UK subs is the guitar player. So that space rock really, really rocked the way it does on the Space Ritual album and stuff. And Jason was a drummer for that. And at the same time, Nicky Garrett is also an like many of us, there's some prog rock way back in there before <laughs> punk came out. But Nicky's passionate enough at it that, um, first of all, I hadn't seen him in years and ran into him at a magma show in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I'd been in the area anyway, but he'd flown all the way out just to see magma. And after seeing magma, I could see why. You know, they might still be the only band on Earth I'd fly long distances to see. They're that good. And um, That's all I'm the stick man, right? He's got his own language and shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, he's like the Frank Zappa figure, who's the, that level of talent and genius and whatever. He composes the, it all, too. And, and uh, Jay, Jason, our drummer, um, who had played in this prog rock band that Nicky Garrett then started called Haberslaven, that has three or four albums out, and uh, Jason was in that. And uh, since we tried him out to, for drums once before, before we got Paul Delapella from Helios's band and Ruin and Philly before that. Anyway, Paul went back to work and family. And uh, so and Jason tried it again. And a lot of like the time speed ups issues and other things, they weren't there anymore. You know, so Haber Slaben and the Nick Turner years did him very well indeed. Now he's also playing in a trio fronted by Matt Freeman from Rancid, complete sure. with a Rickenbacker bass to, for the full Motorhead thing called Charger. Matt's quite and a bass player. He's quite a bass yeah, player. He, he's, yeah, he is. And he's doing that now, too. He's got getting his Lemmy on. Okay. And uh, Jason's the drummer. He's got two kick drums in that band, too. Anyway, so that's the drummer, Jason Willer. He, okay. he wow. also has filled in all with done, right? everybody from Feed Time from Australia when they came through to the mob from England, you know, he's kind of words gotten out about him. So I hope we can hang on to him. Okay. Look, we're at the second hour, October 23, 2020 edition. Wap Pedo show. Jella. Hold tight for three.
October 23, 2020. It's the third hour of the Watt for Pedro. <laughs> To be a stray tourist, a Japanese band. Jello, can we get a picture? Cameras in their hands. Now it's dawn of the dead. Wherever you go, pushy selfie junkies won't leave people alone. First one, and two, and three. Face! 
Pedro Show, we start off the third hour with no more selfies. Joe B. Alfred in the Guantanamo School of Medicine. After that, we had Pedro Party Band. This is Crane, the trumpet man on the product, for the people who know that stuff. End of the Rainbow. Uh, side B of Quest for the Snakehead Tapestry from Mold Omen, Albalmore. And finally, Tea Party Revenge Porn. Joe B. Alfred in Guantanamo School of Medicine. Uh, so, 
like, how did you, do, you know, you, you were talking before about how you showed class shit with your voice parts. How, how did the stuff come together with the, this album? Um, this album, yeah, it's me singing the stuff okay. to people. And it's, it's, it's more, it's more me doing damn near all of it. I mean, obviously there's some Ralph flourishes and other things that, uh, didn't exactly come out of my thick skull, but, um, the, you know, the, but, um, and, 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 you know, they, they can bring stuff in if they want, but they all got their own bands. I mean, Jason also fronts a band called Crust Stitched Eyes. We've done a couple albums with. And so, um, you know, Ralph writes songs for Ralph to sing. You know, he had Victim's Family. Sure. And now he has a band called Freak Accident, whose uh, most recent album, a CD, came out within the last year or two. Um, oh, God, how can I be spacing on the damn title? But, uh, yeah, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. That's the name of it. And uh, Larry was in a band called, uh, also in a band called um, Brubaker. Well, he was in Triclops before that. That's right. I got to play with Triclops. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a band like no other who are sorely missed. And then um, talk about but, a front man with he reminded me of the guy Dave Slut from the Sluts with the long mic cable. Oh yeah, well he, he kind of reminded me because he was so spazzy, especially in his other band called the Fleshies. Yes, that he did Fleshies, albums with. right, right. Yeah, that would be John Geek, John Mink, Johnny No Moniker, whatever right. he wants to call himself <laughs> at the time. Now he's basing vocals in a band with his wife called the Street Eaters, a, a duo, kind of like Dose or something. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, the one that the especially in the Fleshies that John really reminded me of. Did you ever actually play with the Micronauts? Yeah, the Mortar Micronauts, right? You remember that dude then? That was a fucking front man. Yeah, yeah. He came off at the time because he wore those glasses like if you plugged Mark Mothersbaugh's dick into a light (laughs) socket. That's what that guy was like. Yeah, yeah, the Nebraska band. Uh, Uh, I think they were actually from Lawrence, Kansas. No, no, that's right. You're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you might be mixing them up with no, Alex no, 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 no. That they, and I played with them at KU, okay, in Lawrence. Yeah, the Minutemen played with them. Uh, the bassman, I think, ended up hanging himself. Oh no, yeah, it's terrible. Another oh, band man. too we played with that night was Capital Punishment, I think. Oh yeah, out of there. No, I'm thinking Nebraska because that's where D Boone's daddy was from. Oh really? And it ain't yeah, that they had an amazing band a little bit later called Mudhead. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, you remember them. Sure, yeah. Sure. Yeah, and their main guy, the singer, AIDS took him away eventually. And brilliant artist, brilliant illustrator, incredible sculptor. Okay, look, I got this tune, People with Too Much Time on Their Hands. Is that like the theme <laughs> for these days? <laughs> it's one of several songs about the netwit behavior in the digital age. No More Selfies is another one, <laughs> and um, there's one more on there, too. I'm trying to think of what it is. But um, People with Too Much Time on Their Hands is more about people automatically believing something they see on the net and then spreading it without asking if it's actually true and the damage that can be done. I mean, the smaller ones are like when even people who, including the aforementioned John from Fleshies and Triclops and people work at AT, they 
word gets around at Gilman Street show I was dead, and they were afraid it was real. Although, not so completely convinced that I didn't leave distraught messages on my yeah. phone wondering if I was dead or not. Well, you got and the hurt, police though, call right? them and tell them I wasn't dead. But I, I was like, I oh, my God, got, I think you got your uh, knee wrecked, right? Well, that was years earlier. Oh, oh but, okay. But... Um, okay. This was this was something else. It was a Phantom Limbs show that I didn't happen to be at, and for whatever reasons, another great band we did, the Gilbert and Sullivan Punk and stuff, <laughs> with more than a little. You know, it was like that too. too. Was a, uh, Shudder to Think was a little bit like that. <laughs>
saying I'm dead or then post something that I've got weapons in my car and I'm hunting down Ray and Klaus and the others because of what they did to me and stuff like that just to, you know, fuck up my life and spite and stuff. But that's personal. Then the song widens to how much damage it does when you post a lie about somebody at work in order to get them fired or to get a teacher fired at school or something like that. And then widen it to these people who believe a neo-Nazi blowhard and very wealthy talk show host who shall not be named, convincing them that the Sandy Hook massacre in Connecticut was staged and it was fake just to get people to pass nastier gun laws. And so these grieving parents who've had their little six-year-old blown away with a fucking machine gun find these nut jobs maybe with tinfoil hats on, but more likely MAGA hats on, hounding them right outside their front door, demanding they admit the whole thing was staged and that they're holding their kids in the basement if they're still alive. People believing that kind of shit. And that's just, it's gotten us to where we are today with this current certain so-called election. When somebody shows up at a pizza place that you may have even eaten at in Washington, D.C., because he's convinced Hillary is key, Clinton is keeping children hostage in the basement for child porn movies and runs around inside with a fucking AR-15, which thankfully he didn't fire, even after, maybe I don't know if they ever even convinced him, look, there's no, not even a basement in the building. <laughs> You're talking That's about a kid. gets really yeah. dangerous. Or when, uh, or when somebody same age, school age, kills themselves because of what somebody did to spread shit about them on the net. Oh, yeah, yeah. That I mean, this is just, this, you know, That's terrible. that is not cool. No, it's not. So, and I'm not against the Internet. I'm not against Farcebook, although I don't partake, and I think they've been really irresponsible, and Zuckerberg should just admit he's in up to his neck in the far right now just because he wants to keep his money and stuff. But um, it's basically a case of a lot of good things have happened, and you can use these, even the social media, to spread words about protests inside Tehran or whatever. A lot of good. You know, a lot uh... of good. People, people who are the weird kid, the only weird kid in their town can find soulmates somewhere else on the net instead of writing a Dear Abby letter to Jello Biafra's P.O. box. Yeah. That is serious progress, and I like that. But it's always a case of, are you using the tool or is the tool using you? You've got to be smart about that. In the age of all this social media, people getting their news off of Facebook, Fox News and other things, and people then running around saying Jello Biafra died just because they heard somebody else that said that and stuff. Um, what it means is something I've been jumping up and down about in my spoken word shows since at least the late 90s. Media literacy. I don't think anybody should be allowed to pass a graduate from high school until they pass a class on media literacy. However, they don't teach that in school, possibly by design. So we have to always be on guard and be active. And one thing we can do to help the situation we're in now is to keep teaching media literacy one-on-one -on -one to people we know of all ages. It's not just kids. It's adults of all ages. 
to get through about this and how to read through it and spot the the bullshit and be smart about stuff and double check your sources. Have your bullshit detector on ten antennae sharpened and on high and grow them even more. That's the idea. And you get somebody believing some of the stuff and you can point it out to them that it's fake in a way that they will laugh at it, if at all possible. Humor, point it out, then the looking glass is shattered. Do you, do you think that any of the news is real? We all believe what we want to believe. And I have to watch myself on that because I am somebody that I stay stuff and other people believe it. So I try like hell to make sure all the stuff I spew out in the lyrics, the spoken words, and now that I don't really do the spoken word shows that much anymore because of the band taking up the time instead. I had to get back to rock at some point because nobody comes up with the stuff, I, the songs I do and the way I do. But anyway, um, you know, the What Would Jello Do? I don't know if you've seen any of those. It's kind of what I call a rant cast. They're up on the uh, Alternative Tentacles channel on uh, YouTube, and um, there's dozens of them now, I guess. I don't keep track, but um, it's where I do my news reporting. And I uh, people, why isn't, why isn't it more like a real show or, or like a, a podcast? It's like, it's the production value is so terrible on those. I'm like, that's intentional, my friends. Remember the spirit of Frank Zappa and the true cheapness song, Strings Attached to the Jaws of the Giant Spider. That's kind of what, what would Jello do is, although now that I'm getting the hang of this uh, podcast and I know you're going to gag Zoom thing, um, even I am getting the hang of that, um, and I'm way less digitally literate than you are. Anyway, um, you know, there's talk going around that I might finally start doing some kind of proper podcast, but that's all I can say right now. And um, I don't want to jinx it by giving out too many details when we don't even have them together yet. I've learned not to do that. Oh, yeah, the next song's going to be blah, 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 and then the song never gets finished. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, don't it, worry. These movies, I have these two great movies I'm going to be in, and then they never get shot. So, uh, got can't 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 jinx certain things. Sure, sure. And but, I never uh, use that. But with, with the, what would Jello do? Um, that's another. That's how I do the infotainment and try to keep humor in it. And but it, but also expose some things like how we created Putin and uh, you know that. You know, not only did Trump know how bad COVID-19 was clear back in January, it was baby Rasputin, Jared Kushner, who said, no, 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 just don't do anything because otherwise the markets will panic. Which happened anyway, yeah. of course. And once again, just like the children in cages at the border, the corruption with the Russians, a lot of it traces back to terrible decisions by the only person in the business world who could make worse decisions than Trump, his darling little pasty-faced son-in-law, baby Rasputin. Okay. <laughs> Jared Kushner. I mean, basically, what happened with Ivanka and Jared was holy matrimony of two crime families. The Trumps are a crime family. It's not just Donald. Even his late brother would be another one of those. And so was his father. And for that matter, why did his grandfather move over here? He was fleeing weird financial shit and possibly a jail time in Germany. Family tradition. 
And we've been run by a crime family before called the Bushes, who've been doing dirty work, mostly with the last name of Walker, clear back into the 19th century. You know, we got gangsterocracy now. Well, yeah, there's probably a tradition of it, Joe. <laughs> it's all the more reason you got to be very careful to sure. double check and double take and double think. Stop and think about stuff you hear about and see on the news. And people can find you on the Internet at uh, the AT site. Yeah, and, yeah. And what is that? AlternativeTentacles.com? AlternativeTentacles.com. Yes, yes. And we have a YouTube channel, and there's a Jellaby Offer Facebook page I've never looked at in my life, but it was put up there to get rid of a lot of the fake Jellaby Offers, but hasn't gotten rid of all of them, <laughs> apparently. I mean, it's not as bad as one through in the MySpace era when I didn't want that invading my private life either and eating up and sucking away my time. So then... <laughs> You're going to get that torpedo. There you go. Okay, yeah, people, yeah. it's been the October 23, 2020 edition of Wap Pedro Everybody keep your powder dry.